Good morning, Christ Point. I wish I could see you face to face, but this will have to do. I was recently thinking about a conversation that took place between myself and a friend a number of months ago. I had a, a friend visit the church one Sunday morning, and uh, we were hanging out Sunday afternoon. We were actually standing in my garage, and he looked at me and said, James, I don't know how you do it. And I said, do what? <laughs> and, he, and he smiled, and he said, I don't know how you preach without anyone talking to you. <laughs> he had come from a church tradition where Sunday morning was a little bit more dialogue and a little less monologue. He's like, man, I don't know how you do it without people not talking at you. And I laughed. And now that I think about it, I feel like God in his sovereignty was preparing me to stare at a camera with a little red dot. And so uh, now I'll never know if my jokes are funny or not, which is difficult for me. Or maybe I'm used to the silence and I will not be bothered. Uh, well, as you uh, know, uh, things have quickly changed over the course of uh, the last couple of days. This morning, I want to share with you just a little recap of what's taken place, how we're planning to prepare for uh, the next couple of months. And then I just want to share with you some thoughts that I've had over the course of the last week in particular as we've kind of navigated through this time of uncertainty. Uh, first, as you know, because you're watching this online, uh, we, <laughs> we are not meeting face to face. Just a couple of days ago, Cabarrus County made a decision that they would no longer rent space to community organizations, which for us uh, means that we can no longer meet together uh, as a church at Cox Mill High School. Uh, I'm sure the decision that was made uh, was done so after a number of questions and thoughtful consideration. Uh, we, we certainly respect the decision that was made, and as a people uh, who live under the authority of those who God has uh, put in place, we certainly want to honor that decision. Uh, I must admit, though, that not seeing you face-to-face -face on a Sunday morning is difficult for me. Over the course of the last almost 13 years now, uh, one of my great joys has been seeing you each Sunday morning. So much so that when I'm away, whether it be a missions trip or speaking at another church or just on vacation with family, uh, I miss being with you. Uh, even when I'm gone just a week, I look forward uh, to coming back and seeing you face-to-face. -face. I love a gathering as the local church and worshiping together and hearing the word and encouraging and challenging one another in our walk with the Lord. And so I just want you to know over the course of the next uh, many weeks, I will miss seeing you. I say many weeks because we do not know when we will be allowed back into Cox Mill. Uh, originally, we were told that no outside organizations are going to be able to 
rent space or lease space for uh, at least through the month of April. I think April 26th was the date that was given, which means that the earliest we could be back in Cox Mill is May the 3rd. But admittedly, and I don't know this for sure, but even when I think about that, there's, there's just uncertainty wrapped around uh, that particular date and when we might be allowed back in the school. And so admittedly, we're, we're walking kind of with open hands and our eyes wide open and uh, trusting that the Lord is going to lead and guide us uh, during this season. So over the course at least of the next two months, almost seven weeks, uh, we are going to be bringing the message to you on Sunday morning at 1030 as if we were meeting together as a church family. One of the things that we're encouraging people to do, and we want you to use wisdom in doing this, but we, we want folks to gather in small groups if they're able. Uh, we have a number of small groups within the church that gather together throughout the course of uh, the month. I know um, many of you are connected relationally with the people around you. And so if you're able to uh, connect and you are well and you don't have a compromised immune system, then we uh, would encourage you maybe to gather together with another family or two on Sunday morning and watch this message and pray together and uh, spend some time uh, encouraging one another. But again, we want you to use uh, wisdom and discretion in doing that. So that's what the next really two months is going to look like uh, for us. It's going to be uh, yours truly on the computer screen or television screen, at least for a short while. Oddly enough, I'm excited to see how God uses this time and uh, the life of our church to grow us in our relationship uh, with him. He is sovereign. He's in control. He's not caught off guard or surprised by the happenings of the day, and so we are, are trusting him as we move forward. Uh, with all of that being said, I want to pray for us, and then I want to share with you just some reminders that God's given to me over the course of uh, the last week, and then beginning next week, we'll hop into our series uh, through the book of Philippians, and so I'm looking forward to walking through Paul's letter to the Philippians with you beginning uh, next week. But let's pray together, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father God, thanks so much for your grace and for your goodness to us. I thank you that you have given us technology that allows us, even now, to gather together as your people to hear your word. What a gift that is to the church. And so I give you thanks. Lord, I pray during this season when we maybe don't see each other face to face as frequently as we normally do, that you still would do a good work in us. I pray that we would function as the church in such a beautiful and compelling way that the world around us might take notice. Lord, as we think together about some of the truths from your word and some of the things that you're teaching me and us, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and receive from you what you have for us today. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. 
Amen. Uh, well, over the course of this last week in particular, I've been reminded of a number of, of things that I have always known to be true, but I think in a unique way, I have not only kind of thought them intellectually, but I've felt them over the course of uh, the last week. And I know that <laughs> can be a little dangerous, but I, I really do believe that um, these thoughts are true of us, that are true of the church. They're certainly true uh, for uh, me. The, the first reminder that um, I've been wrestling with over the course of the last week is that uh, Sunday morning, while so important in the life of the Christian, is only a piece of the Christian life. And, and what I mean by that is that Sunday morning is an important ingredient that God uses to form and shape his people, uh, but it is not um, the whole of the Christian life. In, in saying that, I don't mean to minimize Sunday morning at all. I, I love Sunday mornings. I mentioned just moments ago about how much Sunday morning means to me. But I feel like Sunday morning, the gathering of saints in, in that particular context for us as Western Christians is, uh, is unique, is special, but is, is not the whole of the Christian life. I feel like it's an ingredient in the recipe for what it looks like to follow Jesus. Like what we do on Sunday morning as a church here in Concord and Charlotte in this area is unique compared to a number of different places around the world. I, I've been reminded over the years that God is moving and acting globally in ways that we don't necessarily have a category for or, or we don't uh, quite understand. There are Christians, for instance, in Saudi Arabia today that are gathering with three or four other people around a table and, and functioning as a local church body in the midst of a culture and context where they experience extreme suffering. There are places in Honduras where we go every summer where a small group of eight or 10 or 12 people will, will gather uh, underneath a tin roof and open the word together and, and pray and worship and instruct one another. There are places in Cuba right now where believers, men and women and children, uh, just a handful have gathered in an upper room uh, to break bread and to open the word and to hear from God. Our local expression of how we do church is an important and even an essential part of the Christian life, but it is not the whole. When we leave on Sunday morning, we go out into the community and world where God has called us. I'm reminded of uh, the words of, of Louis Giglio, a pastor in Atlanta of Passion City Church that tells his people quite often that they are a people who have gathered in order to scatter. They gather in order to scatter. And we find ourselves, at least for the next couple of months, very practically scattering around. We're scattering 
around our community and we're scattering around our neighborhoods and we're rethinking what is normal for us or what's normative in how we do church. And I don't necessarily think that that is a a bad thing. The second thing I'm reminded is is not just that Sunday morning is important, but it's just a, a piece of the Christian life. The second thing that I'm reminded of is something that we say all the time, and that is that the church is not a building. The church is not a building. Maybe you've heard pastors say that growing up. I know that we have said that as a church. One of the reasons that we say that as a church is because we don't have a building, nor have we had a building that's our own. And so it's very easy for us just to go, hey, the church is the people, it's not the building, because we don't have a building. But you know what? That's true. Oftentimes, one of the questions that we ask ourselves or other people is, uh, where, where do you go to church? Like, where do you go to church? Do you go to Christ Point? Do you go to Hickory Grove? Do you go to Factory? Like, where do you go to church? It almost becomes this, this event uh, that we attend. This is where I go. But Scripture is clear that, uh, that the church is you and me on mission from God. And so we are a people who go out into the world. We don't simply gather for an experience and then tap out. No, you are the church. You are the church. And so just because we don't gather together on a Sunday morning at Cox Mill High School does not mean that we cease being the church. We are are still the church, you and me. And so I believe that God has strategically placed us in a a position to influence the world around us in a really uh, unique way. And so the church is not a building. The church is you and the church is me. And so by the grace of God, may God give to us wisdom as we uh, function as a local church body. That means that we are a people who continue to worship. We are a people who continue to um, put ourselves under the authority of the word. We're a people who fellowship together. I don't think it's any accident that we just spent seven, eight weeks going through the one another's in scripture. Those one another's don't just take place on Sunday from 1030 to 1130. They take place as we live out the Christian life. And then another component of the church, the reason for our existence is that we are an evangelistic people. We take the good news of the gospel to a world that is desperate to hear good life transforming news. And so you are the church and I am the church. The church is not a building. Another thing that I've been reminded of over the course of the last week in particular is that we are not in control. I never thought of myself as a control freak. You know, you, you meet some people or know some people and you're like, you know, he's got some control issues. Like he's always got to be in charge. He's always got to be calling the shots or she, oh, Oh, she's unbearable. Like she, she is a control freak. I never kind of included myself in that category, but I feel like even over the course of the last week, God has exposed things in my heart where um, I want so desperately to be able to control what is happening 
around me and I'm, I'm realizing and I've realized that I am, am not in control. You know, one of the things that oftentimes we're fond of saying is the phrase, I didn't see that coming. Did you ever catch yourself saying that before? Something happens in life, someone says something to you or does something to you or there's some event that took place and you didn't know that it was happening or going on and you stop for a minute and you go, well, I didn't see that coming. You know what's funny is like we should never see anything coming, right? <laughs> Like we're, we're, we're not in control. We function oftentimes like we know what's going to take place. We, we know how life is going to transpire and how things are going to go, but we have no idea. Like we are not in control and believe it or not, that is really good news. And because we are not in control, uh, but God is. He is sovereign over the universe. He is not caught off guard by a stock market plunge. He, he's not caught off guard by a virus that unexpectedly shows up at our doorstep. He's not caught off guard by a sickness that seems to spread and people in the know, the, the best and the brightest and the sharpest, don't quite know how to deal with it. God's not caught off guard by any of those things. Like he knows he's sovereign and he is in control because he is in control and we are not. I am not. That means that we are a dependent people. We're dependent people. I know I've, I know I've said this before, but it's true. Um, because we're not in control, we're dependent. Uh, we are needy. Um. If you've ever been in a relationship before that has ended, um, one of the things that I've oftentimes heard people say is that um, their boyfriend or their girlfriend or the person they were dating or their spouse, they, they were so needy. Some people say she, she, was, she was so needy. Like it just drove me nuts. Or he, he was so needy. Like, I couldn't stand it. Like typically, when you talk that way, those are, those are breakup words, right? When you describe someone as needy, it's not a compliment. It's not high praise. But you know what? Like, you are needy. And so am I. Because we are not in control, we desperately need God to move and act. We need him to show up. We need him to extend uh, grace and mercy in his goodness to us on a daily basis. We are not calling the shots. We're dependent. I'm reminded of uh, Proverbs 16 verse 9. It says, in their hearts, humans plan their course. That means you and me. We put together a plan for our lives, how we want things to transpire and play out and how we want life to go. We plan, and then it says, but the Lord establishes their steps. It's like the old saying, like if you want to make God laugh, just give him your plans. 
And we do that, I do that all of the time. I start dreaming about what life could look like or should look like or what I want it to look like. And, and then I find myself in a scenario or a situation where it does not look the way that I thought it would. We are a dependent people. But here's the beauty. When we know that we're not in control and we know that we are a dependent people, we become a people of prayer. Someone once said that when the illusion that we're in control wanes or dissipates or, or wears off, we become a people of prayer because we realize how desperate we really are and we cry out to God to move and to act. Uh, desperation and dependency is fertile soil for faith. Desperation and dependency is fertile soil for faith. God wants his people uh, to be aware that they are not calling the shots and that they are desperate for him to move and act. And I don't know about you, but I have experiences in life where I am reminded, not just intellectually, but I am reminded emotionally, where I feel the truthfulness of that statement. Like it's one thing to say, hey, we, we need the Lord, uh, we need God to show up, we, you know, we need wisdom, but it's another thing when you are in a situation in life, when you are crying out to God and you're going, God, like I, I need your help. I remember when I was preparing to go off to college, I did construction for a summer, which if you knew me is <laughs> sort of laughable. But I was doing roofing for a summer, and I remember this one day in particular. Uh, I was on a roof, and I remember this because it was a nice day, and there's only like two of them in Michigan every summer. And the, this guy I was working with, he was uh, a year or two older than I was. He actually knew what he was doing, but I didn't. But I would just kind of follow his lead. I would do what he did or do what he asked me to do. But I was laughing because one day he was up on the roof. It was a beautiful day. It was like in the 80s. And, uh, you know, he had taken his shirt off and he was working. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm hot too. That seems like a good idea. And so I rip off my shirt and I'm laying down shingles on the roof for, for probably like 30, 40 minutes. And he looks over at me and he goes, dude, James, you need to put your shirt back on. And I was like, why? It's a beautiful day. He's like, you are a tomato and it's going to get worse. And so I, I did. I put my shirt back on. I went home and later that night, I started to feel the effects of my decision. The next day I woke up in so much pain. I literally was on tears. I, I called a, a doctor and I said, listen, I am in so much pain like, I need help. And they're like, do you want us to send an ambulance? But in my mind, I'm like, I'm 18 years old and I just have a sunburn. And so I feel like it would be a little excessive to call an ambulance, you know, to come over to my house and have the EMT treat me. But I just <laughs> remember in that moment, it was the first time in my life where I was like crying out to God, literally going, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I was in so much pain. And I feel like there are times in life when God gives us a heightened sense of awareness uh, to our own need. And, and I believe that this is one of those times.
where we are reminded, God, I need you. I need you to show up. I need you uh, to act. And so we pray. Uh, We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who have been uh, diagnosed with the coronavirus. We pray for those who care for those who have been affected. We pray for communities that uh, have uh, the vulnerable and those uh, with weak immune systems that are susceptible uh, to getting the virus. We, we pray that God would protect them and fill their hearts with a hope and a peace. Uh, we, we pray for our brothers and sisters uh, here in our community, those closest to us who will be impacted um, financially, uh, those who don't have the resources to count on a paycheck uh, coming into their account every two weeks that will care for them um, through the uncertainty. We, we pray for, for pastors and churches um, who particularly minister to older congregations where people aren't naturally giving online and caring for the ministry when they're not meeting together on Sunday morning. I mean, you start to look at this and think about it and you see the ripple effect or the impact that it will have on, on so many people. And so we, we, we pray, we pray, we pray that God would protect them, that he would heal people, that he would provide, that he would grow faith into our hearts. And we, we pray because we're not in control And we are a dependent and desperate people. And I believe that God will answer our prayers. And so I invite you uh, to continue uh, to pray with me. Pray for Christ Point, but pray for our community and those around uh, the world. Uh, Also, one of the truths that I have been reminded of, particularly this last week or two, as I've watched kind of the snowball effect of everything that has uh, taken place, that we are called as the people of God to not be afraid. It's amazing when you study scripture, the the most common command in all of the Bible is to not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And one of the things that I always say is that the Bible reminds us so often to not be afraid because we're susceptible to be afraid. And things happen to us when we realize that we're not in control, that we're desperate, and that we, we need someone outside of ourselves to come to our rescue. Oftentimes, we're fearful. We're afraid of what could take place or what could transpire or what could happen. But the people of God are, are not to be given uh, to fear. Uh, this week, I thought of Psalm 27. I want to read it. Uh, to you this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can uh, turn there, Psalm chapter 27. And I want to read the whole thing, and I just want um, the truthfulness of these words to wash over you this morning. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
When evildoers assail me to eat my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of him in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And then he says in verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I love verse 14. Wait for the Lord, be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Over the course of the last couple of weeks, I've, I've seen many times over one of two responses. On one hand, there is what I like to call the home alone Macaulay Culkin response, which is, ah, like run for the hills, grab the women, children, and toilet paper and run for the hills. The other response, uh, the second response, is what I refer to as the ESPN, come on, man, where you see how people are acting and responding and buying toilet paper in bulk, and you're going, come on, man. Like, this is, this is silly to act this way, to function like this. Like, calm down. Like, it's going to be okay, like slowly back away from the crazy, right? So, so on one hand, we run for the hills, right? Our hearts are unsettled. We're wrought with fear. But then on the other hand, we look at it and are like, seriously, come on, man, like settle down. I got to admit to you, if I were to put myself in, in one of those camps, I definitely would be in the like, come on, man, camp. Like, it's going to be okay. Like, I read the statistics and I'm like, did you, did you hear about the statistics about the flu? You know how many people get the flu? You know how many people die from the flu? I, I, I look at, at how many people may, may get the virus and not even know it. And I'm like, listen, a lot, I mean, a lot of us could have it and we're never even going to feel the effects of it. Or, yeah, I mean, we might get sick, but like, come on, man. Like, it's, it's going to be okay. And I feel like one of the ways, I'm just speaking for myself, but one of the ways that we can be tempted to calm our fear is by um, convincing ourselves that what we're facing really isn't bad, as bad as we think it is, right? So we, we, we look at our retirement account and we go, yeah, you know, I mean, I lost 20 or 30 or 40%, but but. I mean, the, the economy's strong, right? There's, there's this 
undercurrent of strength. And so we tell people, listen, don't be afraid. Like, just hang on. It's going to be okay. Or we tell people like things, listen, I, I know there's some uncertainty. We don't exactly know what we're facing. But listen, we've got the best doctors and medical care in the world. And we're going to figure it out. Right? Or we say to ourselves, listen, the vast majority of people, even if you get it, you're going to be okay. We only have to worry if we're like 85 or older. And so we try to take this thing that could be reason for concern or fear and we compare it to something else and we go, you know what? It's, it's really not as bad as you think it is. But you know what? Uh, when facing fear, the, the Bible never does that. The Bible never says to us in the, in the midst of our fear, don't be afraid because it could be worse. The, the Bible doesn't bring us hope like that. It doesn't say, listen, don't be afraid because it's not as bad as people are saying that it is. The Bible doesn't comfort us by saying, don't be afraid because, I mean, statistically speaking, you're going to be okay. Do you know why the Bible tells us not to be afraid, to, to fear not? This is why the Bible tells us not to be afraid, because the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The, the Bible tells us not to be afraid by pointing us to God. God is faithful and he is strong and he is trustworthy and his promises are sure and true. So the reason that we do not have to be afraid as the people of God is because God is our salvation. And so I want you to hear that this morning. As the psalmist says, the, the Lord is the light in my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid God has not called us to fear, but to faith. Lastly, um, as I thought this last week about the, the church, like the church universal, her response um, to whatever this may look like, I thought to myself, this has the potential uh, to be our finest hour. This is a potential to be our, our finest hour. We can function in such a way that the watching world looks and goes, um, that's different. The, the church historically has functioned in such a way that a watching world took notice. Just the other day, I read an article from author Moses Ali entitled, What the Early Church Can Teach Us About the Coronavirus. He, he writes these words. I want you to listen. He says, The early church was no stranger to plagues, epidemics, and mass hysteria. In fact, 
According to both Christian and also non-Christian accounts, one of the main catalysts for the church's explosive growth in its early years was how Christians navigated a disease, suffering, and death. The church's posture made such a strong impression on Roman society that even pagan Roman emperors complained to the pagan priest about their declining numbers, telling them to step up their game. So, so what did Christians do differently than the Roman Empire? Moses Lee writes in 249 to 262, Western civilization was devastated by one of the deadliest pandemics in its history. Though the exact cause of the plague is uncertain, the city of Rome was said to have lost 5,000 people a day at the height of the outbreak. One eyewitness, Bishop Dionysius of Alexandria, wrote that the response of the church was stark compared to that of the greater society. At the first onset of the disease, society pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treating unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. In other words, a watching world faced with their loved ones were dying, um, they, they moved them out into their streets so they could wipe their hands of them and, and not have anything to, to do with them. But, but Christians um, during that time functioned very differently. Um, Christians um, pressed in. Uh, Moses Lee writes, if the non-Christian response to the plague was characterized by self-protection, self-preservation, and avoiding the sick at all costs, the Christian response was the opposite. Dionysius uh, said that the plague served as schooling and testing for Christians. In other words, it, it became an opportunity for Christians not to pull back from society, but to wisely uh, press in. I, I'm not suggesting that, that we as Christians should um, throw caution to the wind and be foolish in our decision-making and, and where we go or where we decide um, to, to not go. But, but I am uh, suggesting that the people of God during times of hardship and suffering or turmoil or angst or uncertainty uh, functioned as a loving and calming and hope-filled voice into a society that desperately needed hope. Uh, we are the people of God, and as the people of God, we seek the good of others at times at great cost to ourselves. We are not hoarders. We are not afraid. We sacrifice. We give. We put the needs of others before our own. We are not marked by self-protection or self preservation. The people of God risk. God calls us to die to ourselves. And, and sometimes I wonder 
if Scripture uh, does not mean that literally. Right? The, the reason that we practice selfless uh, service and sacrifice and love is because God is sovereign and he is good and his promises are true and he can be trusted. A couple days ago, I shared with you the story of my brother. When my brother left for uh, war in, in Baghdad, he was headed to Baghdad. I was standing with him in the driveway of my parents' home and I asked him if he was afraid and he's kind of turned his head a little bit and, and asked, looked at me like I had just asked the dumbest question in the world. And he was like, like, like afraid, of, afraid of what? I'm like, are you afraid? Like you're going to war. Like people are going to be shooting at you. Are you afraid? And he looked at me and he said, James, this is what I'm trained to do. And I've thought about that so many times over the course of this last week. Just we as the people of God, this is what we are trained to to do. This is what we are called to do, to put the needs of others before our own, to, to love our neighbors in such a way that we use wisdom in how uh, we interact, to, to not think that self-preservation or self-comfort is um, the highest uh, goal or aspiration that we might have as the people of God. I, I believe that, that this has the potential um, to be our finest hour. I'm praying toward that end Christ's point. My prayer for us as a church body is that we would look back upon this time, maybe months from now, maybe years from now, and, and see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father God, we, we love you because you first loved us. We trust you because you are trustworthy. You are sovereign and you are good. And so we believe that even now you are working for our good and for your glory. And so God, we ask that you might be glorified. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. Christ point, I'll see you next week at 1030 a.m. God bless.